everyone. Welcome to Making It, our weekly podcast on building a great business right here in Egypt, brought to you by Enterprise. This season is sponsored by CIB, the partner of choice for CEOs and leaders of businesses at all stages of their growth stories. And by the United States Agency for International Development, which has a 40-year history of inspiring Egyptian success in partnership with the government and the people of Egypt. USAID promotes an environment where all groups in Egyptian society can lead healthy and productive lives. Until relatively recently, payment options in Egypt were limited to cash only. When the majority of Egyptians are unbanked, that means most people have no access to financial services. But this is now changing thanks to players like Fogi who since 2008 have set out to connect people, businesses, and banks. And this was a tall order, because Fauri's bill payment platform came with a set of challenges. Beyond building and connecting the moving parts, they also had to convince the average person that they could pay their bills, transfer money, and be connected to the banking system wherever they are, even from the nearest Kushk. When Ashraf Sabri founded Fauri, he knew he wanted to leverage his experience in technology and also address a clear market need. He knew investors required the business with recurring revenues, and market realities necessitated they be built by local talent. A decade later, Fauri is now a major listed company on the EGX, with international shareholders and a market cap of over $1 billion. Today, the platform connects millions of customers through over 150,000 service points, and can be used for over 850 services, including paying utility bills, school tuition, and even the time-consuming traffic fines and insurance. But perhaps most importantly, the platform is crucial to financial inclusion. It provides a gateway into the financial system for individuals and small businesses that would otherwise struggle to meet minimum banking requirements, and facilitates returning cash on the open market to formal banking channels. Ashraf talks to us about building the company from the idea stage onwards, the challenges he faced landing his first major client, and what comes next at Fauri. Here's Ashraf speaking to Patrick, Enterprise's Editor-in-Chief and co-host of Making It. So Ashraf, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. It is a pleasure to be all in a successful platform like yours. <laughs> thank you, man. So the other day I was flipping through stuff on Apple News and saw a report about Jack Dorsey the uh, founder and brains behind Twitter and Square, being on a yacht with Beyonce and uh, her husband, Jay-Z. So this is, you know, one of the supreme nerds of our generation hanging out on a yacht with the world's biggest pop star and her almost as big pop star husband. Can you imagine when we were kids a day where a coder, where a nerd would be hanging out with pop royalty? No. I mean, not even when we were a kid. I worked for IBM for probably 10 years during my career. And uh, even when I I was at IBM, I never thought that things will uh, develop uh, that fast. But after that, we found companies like Amazon and the rest have have made something different. My belief is it is not about the nerd. I think it is about those nerds run very quickly into building a good organization. And they might have an idea but they find the proper funding and finance to build an organization. So I think it is not an earth. It is a system that have helped people with good ideas 
to develop a business model that creates value to different stakeholders. What made you decide, man, that you wanted to quit a successful corporate career to go out and build your own business? You had been through IBM. You were one of the people who built Raya from what in many ways was a distribution and integration business into a powerhouse that was strong enough to mount a credible bid for the third mobile network operator back in the day. What made you decide that you wanted to leave corporate life and go build your own business? Probably you'd be astonished from my answer. I didn't take the decision alone, okay? So part of the decision was that my career in Raya was approaching an end. I mean, this is absolutely true. I mean, I have done a lot with Raya. I appreciate the company very much. I appreciate the founder and the chairman of the company till now very much. But, you know, things develop in different ways. And my career was simply approaching an end. And I did not establish Fowry as my own business. And this is another thing that I want to say that is important. I never had in Fowry more than 5%. Okay, So at every point of time, Fowry was a corporate. And uh, maybe I had the idea. Maybe I pitched as a founder for the business uh, to different stakeholders. And Raya was one of them, actually. And since we started this company, I had with me HSBC, Bank of Alexandria, Arab African Bank, Technology Development Fund, Raya. So it was always a corporate uh, startup. I don't know what is the name of a corporate startup, but the, the equity stakeholders were actually corporates. And this helped a lot. It didn't help me as an individual to have 80% of a company that is becoming worth X and X. But I think it helped the company to reach the situation where it is because we faced difficulties. We were bankrupt. Mm. We didn't have money. We could not pay our suppliers. And when you have good corporates on your side, they have the pockets that can take you further down the line. And uh, I have to say this happened. And I think one of the major attributes for the success of Fowry is actually that they had the ability to hire professional people. I had uh, seniors from IBM. I hired uh, with me seniors from uh, Raya, from Vodafone, from uh, other companies, from Stadad in Saudi Arabia, from Samba from Saudi Arabia. So we started with a good organization. And this helped us actually to, to build an organization. And on the other hand, we had the private equity and organizations as investors. Mm-hmm. And when they saw things progressing, they invested more. And this was really very much appreciated because otherwise it would never had scaled to where it is right now. So that was part of the plan from the beginning. You didn't want to go the traditional, well, what has become the traditional venture capital route. You wanted stable corporate partners. It was not planned. Really? It, it happened. I believe you have opportunities. You work on them hard. And if you work hard, you achieve. But it was not planned. Twelve years back. The idea of uh, having an entrepreneur with a technology company and all the stuff was not really something that is uh, as sexy as it looks like now. And the people who are funding and VCs and uh, private equity and all, all this ecosystem was absent at this point of time. So it was not planned. I got the support from uh, Methak Khalil, the chairman of Rai, and he helped me in uh, pitching to founders. And he came in with Raya as a shareholder. So we had an organization and we had good people and we had a good idea and we worked on it and it happened. So 
Uh, in IBM, I was a typical salesman or system engineer at a point of time. In Raya, I worked everything, uh, merger and acquisitions, finance director, business development, CEO, vice chairman, you name it. So I made experiences that I could have never made while being in IBM. In Thauri, a new idea, full freedom, do whatever you want, bring the people that you select, work with them, and uh, you develop something that is completely different and is very much attributed to you only, uh, with the team, of course, but uh, you unleash your full potential uh, to the market. So it is different. I mean, uh, the common denominator is passion, work, desire to learn. What was the original idea? I was heading the team, actually, that was pitching for uh, capital increase for Raya. Okay. And uh, this happened probably two or three times. And I was also heading the team that was taking Raya to the IPO. And every time I meet private equity funds or, or investors or asset managers or whatever they are, they will ask me every single time, where is the recurring portion of your business? Mm, recurring revenue. Which part of your business is not uh, project-based? Which part of your business that does not have accounts receivable? Uh, that would help us to forecast the business in an easy way. And then this ring the bell, actually. And it was in my mind. And so, I mean, when I decided to do something different, I said it will not be project-based. It will leverage technology and it will have a recurring revenue. And uh, in all reality, I think this was the foundation. And then we looked into different things and we selected something that we believed will really solve the problem. And you will be astonished as well that when this company was established, the objective of the company was enabling banked customers to use bank channels to pay for their bills. And then while we were implementing, we had the opportunity uh, to think, if the majority of Egyptians are unbanked, why don't we serve unbanked? And we visited actually a company in the UK called Paypoint. And I recall those days, and we learned a lot from this visit. This visit had a huge impact on our strategy and how we are going to develop the business model. And uh, the initial idea was to have a joint venture with Paypoint to establish Paypoint Egypt. And uh, I mean, during the negotiations, it didn't work. And uh, I developed a good relation with one of the CEOs of Paypoint. And I told him what you advised me to do. He told me, do it yourself. And I did it myself. And then this guy came and sit on the board of Tauri, and he was very beneficial after that. So what I'm trying to tell you is when you start a business, it takes time and it can take different roads. But as long as you have a clear vision and passion to work and solving problems and positiveness, I think this is really what makes a difference. And I don't think anything started as an idea one. When the business develops, it turns to idea one and two and three, and uh, and things work together to develop other products. But the whole idea is that you have clear value proposition and the clear things that you are not going to deviate from. So what I'm saying, I've said technology and recurring and problem solving. So I will not go and make project-based and uh, system integration, but I can repeat the same offering with the same main criteria. And this is what makes you build an ecosystem. And I think what differentiates Fauri is an ecosystem. 
looking back, man, just to what you were saying earlier, you knew that your career with Raya was coming to an end and it was time to move on. What made you decide that building your own thing was the answer and not looking for another challenge at an existing corporate, whether it was here, whether it was internationally? Why take the risk? I reached at Raya a position where I don't think I would have accepted to work for another employee. Okay. I mean, I was the vice chairman. I was sitting on the board. I made everything in Raya that I did. So, I mean, it would have been very, very, very difficult to work in another company. I decided the other way. But uh, inside me, the corporate guy. So, I took with me the corporates to give me the comfort that I'm a part of a corporate. And I'm not... uh, either working for an individual or uh, taking the full risk myself. So the corporate guy did not did not die. Inside <laughs> he me. didn't die at Raya. He continued with you. Yeah. And we have uh, actually HSBC. We have uh, Bank of Alexandria. I mean, I can recall Mahmoud Abdel-Latif who took the risk. I can recall Hassan Abdullah who backed me. And all those guys actually invested in something that probably at this point of time, they had lots of doubt that it will succeed, but they came in and they created a lot of value. What picture did you paint for them that had them come in? What prompted them to say Ashraf is on to something? Examples in other places of the world, uh, proving to them that uh, the the business can scale. So at that point of time, the estimated bill payment market at that point of time was around 70 billion Egyptian pounds. So it, it is a huge business. And in the meantime, we looked into models in South Africa, in Turkey, in India, in uh, the UK, in Australia, in Saudi Arabia. And we used those as examples of success and uh, as examples of value creation. The challenge was not that uh, the idea is not good. The challenge was always, will the customer accept paying for his bill in any place other than the service provider? Will you be able to make the reconciliation and settlement between the different parties? The challenge was, can it happen or it cannot happen? Okay, not the idea. The idea was clear. So they took the risk and they were sitting on the boat and uh, they helped a lot with giving you the energy needed to succeed. Okay. So who was your first client? My first client was with a phone. And I can tell you it was a very challenging experience because all the sales and distribution organization within Vodafone did not accept the idea. And uh, I think it was uh, Richard Daly, the CEO at this point. And Richard told me and told them, okay, if he fails, he fails. What are I going to lose? Give him a chance. So it started <laughs> by giving him a chance. And if it fails, it is okay. <laughs> That's crazy. That's fantastic. Yeah. And I have to recall, actually, at this point of time, His Excellency, Allah okay, who gave me a lot of moral and actual support to make things happen. And uh, I recall I went to him and I told him, Dr. Tarek, I want your support to have Telecom Egypt on board. And he told me, when you succeed with Vodafone and Orange, Telecom Egypt will be on board. It might appear as discouraging, but it was very encouraging. And uh, and when we managed to have uh, Vodafone, Orange, and Tesalat at the first clients uh, on board, he pushed very hard to make the data and telecom Egypt part of this ecosystem. Uh, so this guy was uh, very supportive, and uh, he appreciated very much the effort that had been done. And I mean, those guys 
you can never forget. You can never forget people who believed in what you are doing and who gave you support. I couldn't agree more. Making Data is brought to you in association with USAID. For 40 years, the American people through USAID have invested over $30 billion to inspire Egyptian success in partnership with the government and the people of Egypt. USAID promotes an environment where all groups in Egyptian society can lead healthy and productive lives. How lean were things in the early days? Was it financially tight? I mean, was the Vodafone contract a game changer? Like, we're in the money now. We're good? Or was it still a struggle? No, no, it was still a struggle, 100%. Because we have actually invested in our organization. So we were paying high salaries. Mm -hmm. And we had the brand as a focal point and a clear objective that we have to build a brand. I remember the day when I was sitting in the meeting room and I told them, I want Fauri to be the Xerox or the uh, the Hoover. And so when people say Xerox, it's photocopying. When people say Fauri, it is bill payment. Okay. And at a point of time, we were investing probably, what, 40% of our revenue in branding. Oh, wow. And we were losing. And uh, I have here to, uh, I mean, give the credit to my colleague uh, and partner, Magda Habib, for what she has participated in. I mean, she had some words that I can never forget. You have to be consistent. You have to have uh, the brand uh, identity very clear. And she invested in that until now. Fauri as a brand, uh, I mean, we are 98% unaided awareness known to the consumer, which is very high, I mean, for a company uh, our age. A company your age in a sector that you created. Yeah. So the reality is it was difficult time. I can give you another example, and I can record that very well. At a point of time, we were buying point of sales to build our retail network. And uh, our supplier was C. The CEO is called Ahmed Al-Minisi. And then I told Ahmed, Ahmed, I don't have enough money, but I, do, I need machines. He told me, well, I trust you. Okay, I'm going to give you the machines. I can never forget that. But guess what happened after that? We converted the payable into equity. No way. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the payable. So he became a shareholder. He became a shareholder. And I think he made good money out of being with shareholders that are uh, much more than any profit you could have generated out of the point of sale sales. Selling you POS machines. Yeah. So. There are many things of that nature that uh, is, is happening and uh, it happens. But people appreciate hard work. People appreciate honesty. People appreciate delivery. And this builds trust. And once there is trust, things happen. What made you sure that you should stay the course? Like, How did you know you were on the right track at that point? Uh, when uh, I called the customer uh, after the first transaction, and I called him, did you receive the, the message that your uh, payment had been concluded? I used, actually, to look at the transactions and call every single customer. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was doing that, uh, and at that point of time, we didn't have a call center or anything, but I knew for a fact that payment equates to trust. So I think the main issue was building this trust. But if you have trust and convenience, then uh, that was really fueling the whole thing. And this is really where I felt that uh, you will grow. When did you hit break even? It was reaching the critical mass. We invested a lot in the infrastructure. We invested okay. a lot in people. And the objective was reaching the mass that would make you break even. 
I mean, IFC came in in 2013. I think in 2015, probably we were even or with a marginal profit or something like that. Okay. Before we move on, you know, you've been through quite a metamorphosis uh, as a business, as you were saying. You know, what you started out to build is but one portion of what you actually have built. So in your own words, Ashraf, what is Fauri today? Fauri is a platform that is connecting consumers and businesses to each other and to the banking system. This is the main Fauri. Any service is actually a product over this platform. So I'm connecting a business to a bank to accept electronic payment. I am connecting a consumer to an insurance company to pay their dues and now actually to issue insurance policies. I'm connecting small businesses to FMCG companies to pay for their purchases. So the Kushko owner can pay for whatever, or the Ba'el owner can pay for whatever they've yeah, received. Yeah, I mean, we have uh, among our customers the largest FCG companies, and we are enabling small retailers to pay to them electronically. What really digital brings to the table is connectivity, is connecting systems to each other, is having a telecommunication infrastructure that connect people to systems. And this is really where you make the big difference. And this is a model, by the way, that investors like. I've heard a couple of things that I would like to share with you and, and your audience. The first thing is when Jack Moore of uh, Alibaba and, and Ant right now, and he was in an interview, and this is before Alibaba became a giant, and he was telling them, I'm going to really be bigger and larger by far than Walmart. And then the interviewer asked him why. He told him because when Walmart wants to open or to attract another 100,000 consumers, he will open a branch and a store and hire people and do all the stuff. And I'm going to add a new server to my platform. And this is the whole thing. How does Faudi make money? We make money actually by revenue from transactions. And in different uh, products, the revenue uh, portion is coming from different places. But it is a transaction-based revenue. Recently, we started monetizing our technology as well, which is good for you to know that, uh, and I am proud of that, and I keep saying that I am proud of that, that we have developed all Fowry platforms, whether it is the mobile platform, whether it is the point of sale acceptance, whether it is the bill payment uh, point of sale uh, application. Everything that is being offered by Fowry, whether it is our e-store, our loyalty platform, all of those have been developed by Fauri. Not only have been developed by Fauri, have been developed by Egyptians only. So homegrown, nothing licensed. Absolutely. And I can tell you that this is part of our value, that we are a technology company. We are not a service provider. We, don't, we are not a processor. We are a technology company. And this gives us the liberty of changing, adapting, integrating, creating, I can tell that we are going to launch our chatbot for bill payment very soon. Okay, Very soon is very soon. Okay. Ah, no way. So what I'm telling you, this is really, and I'm proud because nobody has believed me that Egyptians can develop a system that is processing today no less than 3.5 million transactions a day. And this has been all developed by Egyptians. I'm proud. I will tell you, young people, and I will tell you, not all of them from Cairo, and not all of them are AUCNs. Egypt is rich. And we have good people. And uh, when they belong, they belong. And when we feel that they are 
making a difference, they work harder. And uh, we have to trust that our people are good. How did you find the people and build that team? One of the biggest problems that we hear of from entrepreneurs today is that tech talent is being poached to Sweden, it's being poached to uh, France, uh, it's being poached by the UAE, that uh, you know, developers would rather work uh, remotely at home than sign up for corporate life. How did you build that platform that attracted so much talent to do something in-house with you? Number one, we have a stock option program that goes to every employee in the company. So you don't necessarily need to be a C-level to receive a stock option. Okay. Wow. We were very keen as well that before being listed with every single transaction, whether it is a capital increase or a secondary sale for existing shareholders or whatever it is, that our people will monetize their options. Okay. And the other part of it is they are proud and don't underestimate that. And our core team has been with us for 10 years right now. And some of them have left to the Arab world and they came back again. It's awesome when people come back. Yeah. And I like that we are a family. I recall many days when we worked together till 3 o'clock and 4 o'clock in the morning. And I was sitting in between them. And uh, one... uh, (laughs) This was a funny story. My, my daughter was about to be engaged, and it was the and it was the feast, and uh, we were invited by the family of her current husband right now to have the feast eve with them, and the system crashed. And I was sitting with the people, and my wife was yelling at me. She wants her daughter to be married. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But I was between the people till 3 o'clock in the morning, okay? So they feel that we are all one family and we are working together. And I think this makes a difference when they see that everybody is working as hard and as committed and is not a hierarchical organization. It makes a difference. I want to ask you for a few minutes uh, about being at the top of that hierarchy, though. Um, I want to talk for a moment about the job of CEO. And I think one of the things that a lot of new leaders and frankly, old leaders struggle with is how do I know what I should be doing today? How do I know what my priorities are? Uh, Parallel processing. Okay. Break it down for me. You have to have the ability to process parallel things together. And uh, my priority number one is to solve customer issues. I get mad when there's a customer issue. Really, I get mad. Maybe I don't manage to solve everything. Okay. But uh, I don't have the patience to wait for a customer issue that is not resolved. Maybe this sometimes puts a lot of pressure on me. The other thing, what is new? This takes a very big portion of my hand. Either in what sense and what we are going to do next. In what sense? How we are going to be more competitive. Okay. How we are going to make it more difficult for our competition what values we can create more to our customers. And I go digging and digging, visiting. I visited Brazil, I visited India, I visited China, I visited the US, I visited South Africa, I visited Turkey, I visited everywhere that I can really find an opportunity to learn more. And I always really put this in mind. And I always have ideas. I always try to find ideas. And we are always delivering something 
that is going to be ready in three years. I tell people that, uh, I mean, we are working on it to have it ready in one year. But in reality, it takes more time. So we invested in mobile in 2013. People are speaking about mobile today. Our first MBE phone cash wallet was launched in 2013. This was seven years ago. I think nobody, no, nobody can think that this is a reality. Everybody thinks that mobile is yesterday. We invested in enabling merchants paying their suppliers since 2014. People are speaking about that this is something that should happen now. Being ahead all the time and investing in something that will not yield return immediately is key as well to, to me. Last, uh, I learned by heart the numbers. So I can read the financials very quickly. I can uh, understand at every point mm -hmm. of time whether we need to push the revenues or cut the expenses. And uh, so those three real things are something that I never, they are all priorities. Okay. That's why I'm saying parallel processing. I don't believe that you have to have a priority list one, two, three, four, five. I don't think it works like that because the company is not one, two, three, four, five. The company is moving horizontally and is moving vertically. So the idea of uh, putting your priorities and fixing them one by one, I think will never fly. Where are you spending too much time and where are you spending too little time as a leader? It differs by time. It is not the same every year. Never the same thing. I mean, okay. this year, for example, I am focusing on operational issues, on having clear dashboards. We are a service organization at the end of the day. We are not a factory. We are depending on people. So to manage people delivering a service is completely different than managing a factory delivering a product. And to be able to do so, you have to do many different things. 100%. And uh, this year, I did put a lot of focus on that because when you are growing faster, uh, the company is uh, becoming bigger and it's all service. So if you don't have a clear way to measure the service attributes and the level of service you are offering to your clients, probably you will find that at the point of time you cannot do that. And so I took this year as a cutoff to focus on service. So what I'm trying to tell you is that the priorities differ. So prior to the IPO, I was looking more aggressively into our financials and into our uh, uh, equity story, and this was taking the majority of my time. But one thing that never stops being a priority and takes a good portion of my time is business development, new products, what's happening in the world, uh, how things are changing. This never disappears. This is uh, maybe, I mean, what I watch uh, on YouTube sometimes at night, maybe when I travel, I developed some friends around uh, the world okay. okay, who are really good experts in what we are doing. And I make sure that we have a call probably once every quarter and we exchange ideas and they are everywhere in the world and they give you insights. So, I mean, being in this business Disrupting yourself is important. I mean, disrupt yourself before somebody else comes and disrupts you. So we are still a young company. We are still entrepreneurs. And uh, to me, entrepreneurs are not uh, young people, are young companies. So, I mean, you can always be an entrepreneur. New products, new things. Yeah, I mean, what does the research say? That the average successful entrepreneur is 45 to 55 when they pull the pin and start their venture? 
the organization should be the entrepreneur, not the individual. How do you put that spirit into the organization? How do you build an organization that does that? Continuous uh, innovation, continuous motivation, continuous new products, accepting failures, not blaming people because a product did not happen, hmm. accepting wrong decisions, pushing, 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 working in teams, many things. But people will always feel that they are doing something different. This year is not like the previous year. That's it. How do you define the Fauri culture? We are offering new services every day, and people have to accept that. And we will not wait until things happen, and we will move fast. So people who came and joined us from the banking sector just feel that we are a different, not a different animal. We are crazy. And uh, what we think we are going to deliver will never be delivered. And after seven or eight years, they sit with you and they tell you, you know, we thought that this will never happen. Because I used to tell them, first year of volume, we have 300 million pounds of process. Next year, it will be 1.5 billion. Ah. <laughs> the year after, it will be 6 billion. Now, it is the run rate of our, our total throughput is around 85, 86 billion Egyptian pounds. Wow. And people did not believe that we will make 1 billion. But when they see it happening, and then they say, well, there is something here that this is what we do every single year. How do you tell them what they need to know? I mean, once upon a time, you guys were small enough. You, I remember a long time ago visiting you and, you know, there was a bullpen and a couple small offices around the side. And, you know, now you're, what, 1,600 people? How many people are you today? Even more, uh, above 2,000. Above 2,000 people. How do you keep them all on the same page? More meetings, speaking to every other people, uh, I mean, every other individual in the organization. I will tell you something. I mean, Zoom made uh, a, a huge uh, penetration to that. It removes many of the barriers for communication. You know, I mean, all those programs, CEO meetings, CEO breakfast, CEO lunch, and uh, uh, yeah. the meeting, and the kickoff meeting, and, and all this stuff. That's good, okay? <laughs> but uh, doing the same virtually, allowed me to meet the people working in Upper Egypt and the people working in the Delta and the people working everywhere more frequently and hear to them uh, in one hour, everything happens. So I think the lesson I learned is that I will leverage technology to communicate more. But we have those structured processes for planning, for, for kickoff meetings, for uh, cycle meetings and all that stuff. But what I really enjoy is meeting people on the ground in small meetings and hearing from them. And when you come to the company, you will find it very normal. If you ask anybody that Ashraf can be sitting beside me, asking me what I'm doing and how I'm feeling and how things are happening, he will not be astonished. Management by walking around. And sometimes, you know, I mean, the managers come and tell me they are frightened. But the reality is I really love them and I really care for them. I really want to listen from them. And I really think they have a lot to say. And they are just afraid. So, so they need to have the space. Is it as fun interacting with your board? Uh, as long as you are doing good, it is always fun. Success creates its own preconditions. Whenever they feel that you listen to them and you appreciate what they say, then probably they will feel relaxed as well. 
but I can tell you I'm not the easy CEO to deal with. How so, man? Uh, I am quick and while being quick, sometimes I ignore things that I should respect more. Okay. So if there's something uh, that is really pressing and I want to make a decision, uh, I cannot put it in the very structured format that the board would like. Mm-hmm. This does not mean I ignore the board for decision making, but uh, I would like the idea and the value and how it will scale and ask them to leave the details to me. Sometimes it flies, sometimes it doesn't fly, but, uh, but sometimes it is like that because not every time you have all the numbers that you need to crunch and put it in front of everybody. Yeah. But uh, you feel that there's something here. There's something in your gut. Yeah. Thanks God, they still trust me. Maybe at a point of time they will not and it will be more difficult, but till now they trust me. Uh, inshallah forever. We've talked about staff, we've talked about your board, you know, the other big constituency of people that you deal with uh, are your consumers. How do you change consumer behavior? If nothing else, I mean, this is not to underestimate the technical problem that you guys had to uh, had to solve, and it's not to underestimate how difficult it may have been to get businesses and institutions on board to convince the regulator, but you would not have succeeded had you not gotten millions of consumers. I think changing behavior is by solving a problem. And it is not by educating the customer. It's not really the cause of late adoption of consumers. And I was asked when we had our launch, this was in 2010, that the majority of Egyptians are not well educated. They don't know how to use technology. And that's why probably nobody will uh, use the service. And then I used an example that I don't forget till now, which is that those people who are not well educated and cannot read and write are using the mobile phone to charge and transfer money by doing a hash one, two, three, hash, uh, star, whatever it is. And probably they don't know the menu structure, but they use the menu by numbers one, two, three, and four. Why? Because there is a need and there is somebody who is fulfilling the And today, I am using another example, but it is exactly the same, which is WhatsApp. Everybody in Egypt is using WhatsApp. A daughter will send to her mother a picture of the dress she's buying, and everybody is using it, and nobody told them how to use it. There is no manual, and there was no an education campaign on WhatsApp. But you solve a problem. When you solve a problem, people will find a way. And I think this is the most important thing that you think of is, are you really solving a problem or is this only a problem in your head? And once you are definite that you are solving the problem, don't worry about the rest. And I think this is the most important thing. And I've heard that from a Google executive. I cannot recall his name right now or his position. And he said, we evaluate feasibility studies by that. Are we solving a real problem? Can scale? If both checks are right, then this is a good business. How well do you really understand your consumer? We do consumer research every year. We visit uh, customers every year. We do focus groups every year. We try to understand our limitations very carefully. We monitor our Facebook pages and the Facebook pages of some of our distributors. We meet them. This is very important. I'm going to 
ask you now uh, to walk through with me the speed round. Five questions, and I'm going to ask you to answer each one as economically as possible. So the first one is, what is the best part of being a public company? When you are successful, access to markets and access to credit. What's the biggest risk to the business today? More alignment with the regulators. In what sense? I shouldn't be asking a follow-up question in the speed round, but I have to ask. You have to make sure that they understand you quite well. And you have to make sure that you are transparent enough with them. And this needs a lot of effort. Third question. Are we going to see Fauri outside of Egypt sometime in the future? Leveraging Fauri technology in other markets is on the table and this happened. So it will not be Fauri and UAE. It will be Fauri's technology in UAE or other markets. And it might not be the full suite of Fauri technology. It might be part of it. Next to last question, how do you define a great business? Growing and enjoying. <laughs> I like the last part especially. If you had to start another business in fintech, what would that business be today? Uh, InsureTech. InsureTech. Okay. Ashraf, thank you very, very much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure, man. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Patrick. If you enjoyed this week's episode, hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows. Making It is produced by Enterprise, your morning briefing on business, finance, and economics. Subscribe today for free at enterprise.press. This season is brought to you by CIB and USAID.